I've just covered myself in Olbass oil because I am convinced that I just felt some kind of insect or flea um, climb onto my body when I was standing at a bar. And the closest thing to tea tree oil I've got is Olbass. So it, my body feels quite tingly and nice, actually. I think it's a, an okay thing to do. Hopefully it won't burn too much. Um, but I am praying that I did not just contract fleas or something like that, because I am staying in a hostel now. Um, I am pretty proud of myself, um, not for catching fleas, but for breaking a record. Um, and it's not only a personal record, it's actually the record of the entire trip from when Kevin left in August. Um, he's not particularly happy that I am now the current record holder of the furthest distance travelled by bike. Um, but I did manage it, and I'm quite surprised actually, because ironically, the yesterday morning, after the motorbike ride, which was six hours, um, I ached more than I've ached on this entire trip. Um, we've been cycling like... 100 to 150 kilometers many days in a row don't usually ache at all and then I sit on the back of a motorbike for five six hours and I am aching in places that I didn't know I had muscles um it's really weird because they're obviously not very often used I did say I haven't been on a motorbike many times and I think this just goes to show it like I I can't handle it it's exercise to me um so yeah, that's very ironic that it was on a bike too, but I just wasn't doing anything on it. Um, and so I was quite surprised that yesterday, which was the day after the, the bike um, activities, I decided to cycle from Sipi, where I was, uh, to Ginger, um, which is a town, I guess a city actually, east of Kampala, like sort of next door to Kampala, which is the capital. And uh, I decided to do it all in one day because there was nowhere that I wanted to stay in between. And I didn't really want to like throw my money away on a hotel because I haven't really mentioned this, but Kevin's got the tent. So camping is not an option for me. Plus, I'm not massively keen to camp on my own anyway. So um, I decided to try and do the stretch of 200 kilometers uh, in one day. Uh, I got up before sunrise and I actually waited for sunrise um, because I was in such a picturesque area and I wanted to see the sun come over the mountain. It never did. Um, it was the wrong direction and so I ended up just leaving having waited a little while but I couldn't afford to wait any longer. So I, yeah, I, I left Sippy at about 7.30 in the morning and I arrived in Ginger at about 7pm so and I cycled solidly um I stood um uh, over my bike and had a Rolex which is a really cool snack actually it's a chapati with a fried egg rolled into it they kind of cook them at the same time, and so the chapati and the egg is hot, and they're the same size, and they like sort of sandwich together, and then they roll them up. And the Rolex is the it's like rolled 
eggs. So it's quite self-explanatory. Um, so I ended up having a Rolex over, standing over my bike. So I didn't actually sit down for it at all. Um, and I had a few snacks. I had some emergency sweets that I had to hit up in the afternoon because I was really flagging a little bit by that point. Um, but I made it and yeah, it was cool. And actually, I don't even feel that tired today. I don't feel as tired as I did from sitting on the motorbike yesterday. So weird, but um, I know how I need to work out in future. So yeah, that was um, a big achievement for me. Uh, I don't really care either, but it's kind of nice. I'm I'm proud that I did it. And also, I'm really just happy to be in Ginger, which is where I wanted to be. So that's the main sort of reward for doing it. And also seeing how annoyed Kevin is that he's not now like the championship leader. Um, that is also a bit of a reward to me. So other than me being the current reigning champion record holder, best in the world, I have also seen a record number of bikes around. Um, it is insane, like honestly more than I see in England. Um, since I left, it was sort of starting at Kenya and then into Uganda around the border area. There's just so many bikes um i i would say in two days i saw over 300 bikes um some of which was just like all all in one area so i probably saw about 50 um stacked up i think outside of school and everyone seems to have them which is really great because loads of kids are on them and um i suspect that it might be because there's this is an area that gets donated bikes. Um, there's a charity, I think it's literally called like Bikes for Africa or something. And it, yeah, does that. You can donate your old bike to the charity. They're actually all based in Halfords in the UK. Um, I know this because I gave my old bike before I got this touring bike, Corelli. Um, I had a Oh, I had such a good bike, actually. Not going to lie, I actually regret giving it to an African child because it. I fitted that bike so perfectly. We were one, and it was called GA. stands for Giant Attraction. Um, I did get a bit of jip when I first met Kevin for calling it that because <laughs> that's actually what the bike um, like model is called. It's not really a name that I've given it but I think it, I said I think it fits um it really it's just a, a giant attraction of a bike and so I kept it that way and it sort of annoyed people as well which I liked so I gave that away before I came um and it was really hard to say goodbye actually and since we've been on this tour I am convinced that Corelli doesn't really fit my own sort of personal measurements I think they're fantastic bikes certainly and Kevin has um Maggie and they again they're like one person but for me I just don't think it fits perfectly and um yeah I really I really miss GA so before I left England I made quite a bold claim that I was going to Africa to reclaim GA again and I do think that's actually possible not the reclaim but um to 
the possibility of actually bumping into her um, because there aren't that many places that this company probably delivers to in Africa. Um, this is the first time I've seen like a high concentration of bikes. Usually they're very rare. And also there aren't many roads that you would use a bike to travel on. Um, there's only a few sort of asphalt roads around and we're usually on them on the main routes so I think it is actually possible that I could find her but because of this sort of high concentration of bikes that I've been passing through it's been an absolute nightmare because I just haven't been able to concentrate on the road at all I'm like a hawk looking um there's so many bikes being worked on at the side of the road it's just like constant bike workshops and every time I see like a vibrant purple bike, I do like a 180 and circle back and go really slowly, cruise past this um, bike workshop that some old guy's working on. And then they're like, what is this girl doing? And I'll just eye up the bike, realise that it's not GA, and then just 180 back and, and turn around. So people are constantly like, what do you want? Um, and there's no point trying to explain, I don't think, so I just kind of go along. Um, but I am really on the lookout, and I think, I think if I believe enough, then she will find me. So um, I'm pretty excited to buy all these bikes. Um, and yeah, it's really nice to see. I'm, I'm strongly guessing that it is down to that charity. Um, I don't think that the types of bikes that are here would have ended up here otherwise. Um, they're like mountain bikes or, um, you know, the low bar bikes that you can sort of leisurely cycle around. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, really nice. So if you do have an old bike that's just rusting in the shed, you may as well just drop it off at Halfords. It makes you feel so good as well. Um, that's the main reason you should do it. And it might end up here and I might see it on the road. So another thing that I forgot to mention about bikes on the road in the last few days is that I accidentally caused a motorbike accident, which I felt really bad about, um, but it wasn't really my fault. And it was because I was cycling into Mbale and there were two like motorbikes going along with several people loaded onto them. They definitely had, I think, at least three each on board. And the the guy that was in the lead um, was just sort of going along minding his own business. The guy behind saw me, obviously had never seen a Mazungu before, and so his head just turned with me as he overtook me. And he was just, like, staring and not concentrating on what was in front of him. So then he just drove straight into the guy in front of him and I'm laughing because everyone was fine. Um, it just, like, debunked everyone off the bikes. It was kind of slow. Um, but everyone just ended up on the floor. And this poor woman who was right on the back and was just being harried uh, ended up in just, like, a sort of scrumpled pile in her dress. And then just sort of... Kept, she didn't... Nobody made a sound. Nobody screamed. Nobody, like, was crying or anything. She just picked herself up, sort of, like, straightened up her dress, and then they all just jumped back on the bikes. But I did feel really guilty, and I stopped. But then I was like, I'm just going to cause more trouble here. So I 
carried on. Um, but yeah, I did feel bad about it. And I, I am always really conscious of that sort of thing. And I keep my distance from hazards like that quite a bit because you can so easily like go into them yourself. So <laughs> yeah, that was one to look out for. Um, but it is just no one's seen a Mzingu. It's, yeah, it's just so... that Oh, Mzingu means um, wandering freely, by the way. It's like when they see somebody who wanders without a purpose. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean white person. It's not... <sighs> Kevin thought it meant ghost, but it doesn't, we found out. Um, I'm sure there are terms that do mean ghost. But... Uh, yeah, Mzingu is like a person that moves without a purpose. And sadly, that is probably now always a white person because a black person is, I mean, everything they do is like for work or, you know, to live or something. Whereas we just like fuck around all the time. Oh, beep. Um, so <laughs> this this episode's already explicit. Um, so apologies, but... Um, you'll see why when I move on to my next subject. Yeah, it's going to get more um, X-rated adult content as we progress. Uh, first and foremost, the highlight of being in Ginger, which is quite a big city, I think they'd classify it as, um, which is at the source of the River Nile, which obviously goes all the way up to Egypt, and we cycled it months ago at the top um by uh down down through egypt uh and it's where the nile comes and meets the uh lake that i swam in and got that snail disease um called lake victoria so ginger's quite yeah it's quite um developed quite big there's quite a few bridges going across the river and it's quite beautiful for that reason um it's the last place I would expect to see wildlife um, or better wildlife than I've been seeing in the mountains or in completely remote places and we've been camping. But today I was just wandering around the streets and some cool little monkeys um, scuttled past. They were running away from a neighbour's garden that it was quite a fancy sort of mansion house and they had a bit of a plantation with bananas outside, and the monkeys were just, like, freely stealing them and then jumping over the fence. So I caught them in the act, and they were so great, actually. They, were, they weren't particularly scared of me, so I managed to get quite close. And there was all sorts. There was loads of sort of playful, medium-sized ones. They were, like, climbing trees and eating bananas, um, and then there was a mother and baby, which was quite adorable. It, I've seen a mum and baby monkey before, and the baby was standing on the mother's back, um, which was also cute. But this was different. This was like when a kangaroo carries a baby kangaroo in its little pouch. The, the mum monkey was running... Um, on all fours and the little baby was like wrapped around her like as if in her pouch um, and being carried and it was just oh so cute and its little tail was dangling down so yeah little mama and and baby ran across and got to safety I think then the dad or like the dominant monkey came along because he was a lot bigger and then he was just 
clowning around. He did not care about me at all. Um, he was posing for photos. He, I got a really good picture of him running um, with all four limbs. I don't know whether they're hands or feet or what. Um, off the ground, like a like a horse or something, galloping. It was really crazy. Um, got some great snaps of them all, actually. Um, he was climbing trees, swinging around. Um, I've got a picture of him for the for the pod, um, which features just actually one particular part of his animal body, um, which took me by surprise. Um, I was watching him and photographing him for a while, and he was, like, skipping about, um, very sweet and innocent. And then he climbs the tree and swings around, and I'm directly below, um, snapping away. And I notice immediately, because it's, like, really glaring in my face, that this monkey has the biggest, bluest balls that I've ever seen. Um, the picture will say everything. It was, they're like, they looked like cartoon balls. It was so weird. Um, they are almost like neon blue and huge. Uh, and yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Um, I want to share it with you and you have to look at the picture of this pod because they are sensational. So, um, yeah, I just wanted you guys to know that I found the wildlife um, that I was looking for and and more. Um, <laughs> it was really, really funny. I, I can't really get over it. I'm going to have to look it all up. Like, maybe this monkey was abnormal. Trust, it would be a typical situation for me to find another abnormal animal in Africa and not, like, a classic. Um but, yeah, it was just so in-your-face, big blue balls. And from that subject, I will segue into my next item on the agenda. Uh, I had a chat with a guy last night who works as a tour guide. Um, he's part um, Ugandan and part Rwandese, which is Rwandan. Um, I didn't realise that... They actually don't say it like Rwanda, like we do. It's more like, sort of all in one, like Rwan. Um, so I'm trying to learn that way. But he came over and had a little chat with me. Um, he had a very complicated situation where he was brought up by his father in Uganda um, in the absence of his mother. I won't go into it because it's, it's not really relevant, but... We got into the subject of him being circumcised at the age of eight without any kind of drugs or, you know, anything to numb the pain. He actually was quite expressive when he was explaining what had happened and he obviously remembered it very well. Um, and he sort of was gesturing and he said, yeah, he, he put his hands, each hand on a bar above his head and held on. And it was done, like, in front of him, literally. Um, and he was, yeah, he was explaining how he felt about it. It wasn't, he was quite a chill guy. It wasn't, like, an intense conversation, even though it sounds like it was. Um, he did explain that in his, 
I don't think he used the term tribe, but I'm going to say tribe just for ease. Um, he was saying that that is quite abnormal. Usually they would wait until the age of 18, you get the, the consent of the person, and then it's just like a rite of passage to be in the tribe. Um, but for him, situation was slightly different for one reason or another. And so they decided to do it when he was really young. Um, he told me he hid, he ran away and hid in the forest for two days before having it done. And he was actually only lured back by food because he thought it was all over. And then these local families, not like in, indirectly knew his mother, uh, father probably, but didn't didn't necessarily know them so they lured him back with food and he said that they fed him so much food it was four different houses that he went to consecutively he obviously had been gone for two days so he was probably ravenous and he you know went from house to house being offered food one thing he said was it was porridge so like really heavy food um for a reason because they were purposefully filling him with food so that he wouldn't run, because he wouldn't be able to run. He was so full. And after the fourth house, they seized him, and then they took him for his circumcision ceremony. So, yeah, it was really... It was a good story. Um, he is a tour guide, so maybe he made it up, but I hope not. And he, he was explaining, obviously, that that was quite scarring, uh, oh, in both ways. Um, but he was proud, eventually. He said he didn't really agree with the way that it was done, but now he's very proud of the fact. Um, and afterwards, you are massively celebrated to be, like, a real man for having had it done without any kind of drugs or, you know... Um, and you just feel, like, a real sense of pride... So I found that really fascinating. Um, I obviously, as a woman, can't imagine really how that would feel at all. Um, but it's interesting that something so... Uh, I've heard about it, um, and we talk about it in the Western world, I think, as, like, body mutilation. Um, and I'm sure that some um, sinister things do go on. But this guy, who now is probably about 28 or something, he's probably about my age, and, um, you know, he's experienced that situation, the exact one that we probably talk about and say, like, this is horrific, um, but he actually is or believes to be very proud of what happened. It's almost like when you're I don't know, I feel bad saying this as a as a woman where I don't totally understand, but it's almost like when you get an injection done at school, you know, like, what's it, BCG, and it kind of hurts. And it's horrible, and, like, some people cry and, you know, painful. But afterwards, everyone bonds over it, and they're like, oh, yeah, let's see your BCG. Although you're probably not going to get your penis out to show circumcision, actually. I take that all back. Um, but, yeah, anyway, there's a little African story... Um, I'm not sure how representative it is of Africa so far, but, yeah, it was nice to hear this guy's story, and uh, it's been um, one of the highlights so far. 
Okay, and then there's just a bit of admin clear-up to do on this. Um, I know I'm really crap. Kevin just told me that my Just Giving page that I cheekily asked people to make a donation to has been frozen um, and I've only just fixed it. So I don't know whether people actually wanted to give money to the children on St Helena um, for their playground. But if you did, the page is now reopened. Um, I know it looks really dodgy that it got frozen in the first place. Um, but I promise that I am going to give every penny that's donated by the time I get to Cape Town to an organisation called Creative St Helena, St Helena even. Um, I'm in contact with Teeny Lucy, who is the director of the organisation, and we have been talking for, actually I think it's about two years now, um, about how we can publicise the playground um, and just get it, get it reopened for the kids because I think, honestly, the island is so small. The population is only 4,000. I think it's quite a beautiful island, but it's very poor and there's not a lot to do. So I think that the playground will make an, a huge difference to these kids' lives. Um, and I really want to make that change. And so please, if you can, if you want to, um, then the page is no longer frozen. And I promise that it wasn't frozen for dodgy reasons. I just forgot to fill out something uh, which is now done. So, yeah, that concludes for today. Um, I'll put the link for the page in in the episode so that you can hunt it down if you like. Um, and I try not to mention it too much because I just do the podcast for me, really. Um, so... It's not like a shameless plug all the time or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to speaking to you soon. Uh, probably next time I'll be reunited with Kevin. So um, I'm sure there'll be lots to talk about. 